Well, we have the privilege of having a guest speaker join us this morning. His name is Stephen Petiti. I want to take a minute just to introduce him. He and I met on a soccer field as our boys were playing soccer. And you can always tell how spiritual a man is by watching him cheer for his son playing soccer. It's a good measure of spirituality. No, I'm just, I'm just teasing. Uh, we really did meet there, and as we got to talking, we realized um, just how much we had in common. He is married to the granddaughter of uh, Lynette Arangi, and who has been a longtime uh, attender here, very faithful here with us. The Arangi family is sitting here with us, who often glad to see you guys. Thanks for coming. And uh, teacher at Berean, he also serves on the teaching team at the Central Peninsula Church in, in Foster City, where he helps put together their small group curriculum and uh, their preaching schedule and working with the preaching team on the, the sermon series that are coming up. And so we're very thankful to have him here with us this morning. Um, and I'm going to read the, the passage that we're going to be studying together this morning. Um, Pastor Chris asked if he would cover a psalm, and uh, Stephen was excited to share with us Psalm 22. So if you have your Bibles this morning, you can turn there with us and follow along as we read. If you're using one of the Bibles in the chair in front of you, it's found on page 400, Psalm 22. For the choir director upon Aizaleth Hashashashar, a psalm of David. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Far from my deliverance are the words of my groaning. Oh my God, I cry by day, but you do not answer. And by night, but I have no rest. Yet you are holy. O oh, you who are enthroned upon the praises of Israel. In you our fathers trusted. They trusted and you delivered them. To you they cried out and were delivered. In you they trusted and were not disappointed. But I am a worm and not a man, a reproach of men and despised by the people. All who see me sneer at me. They separate with the lip and they wag the head, saying, Commit yourself to the Lord. Let him deliver him. Let him rescue him because he delights in him. Yet you are he who brought me forth from the womb. You made me trust when upon my mother's breasts. Upon you I was cast from birth. You have been my God from my mother's womb. Be not far from me, for trouble is near, for there is none to help. Many bulls have surrounded me, strong bulls of Bashan have encircled me. They open wide their mouth at me. There's a ravening and roaring lion. I'm poured out like water, and all my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax, it is melted within me. My strength is dried up like a pot shirt, and my tongue cleaves to my jaws. And you lay me in the dust of death, for dogs have surrounded me. A band of evildoers has encompassed me. They pierced my hands and my feet. I can count all my bones. They look, they stare at me, they divide up my garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots. But you, O Lord, be not far off. O you, my help, hasten to my assistance. Deliver my soul from the sword, my only life from the power of the dog. Save me from the lion's mouth, from the horns of the wild oxen. You answer me. I will tell of your name to my brethren. In the midst of the assembly, I will praise you. You who fear the Lord, praise him. All you descendants of Jacob, glorify him and stand in awe of him, all you descendants of Israel. For he has not despised nor abhorred the affliction of the afflicted, nor has he hidden his face from him. But when he cried to him for help, he heard. 
From you comes my praise in the great assembly. I shall pay my vows before those who fear him. The afflicted will eat and be satisfied. Those who seek him will praise the Lord. Let your heart live forever. All the ends of the earth will remember and turn to the Lord, and all the families of the nations will worship before you. For the kingdom is the Lord's, and he rules over the nations. All the prosperous of the earth will eat and worship. All those who go down to the dust will bow before him, even he who cannot keep his soul alive. Posterity will serve him. It will be told of the Lord to the coming generation. They will come and declare his righteousness to a people who will be born that he has performed it. Church, will you please welcome Stephen as he comes to preach. Thank you. Thanks, Andrew. Good morning, church. I'm so thankful that you've given me the opportunity to worship with you today. Um, it's great to be here. Um, and what I found really cool is that I actually know some people here. As Andrew mentioned, we've met before. I see some of my students here, um, some coworkers here. It's just great to be able to come and worship with you today. So again, thank you for this. Um, as Andrew mentioned as well, the, there's this, um, the conversation we were having about, okay, let's do a psalm. And I said, okay, Psalm 22 has been on my mind a lot. And so I've been reflecting on this. And um, I was like, okay, Psalm 22 sounds good. And then I realized that today was New Year's Day. So happy New Year. Uh, and uh, then I was like, okay, so I have to say something important, right? Because it's the first day of the year. And um, I, I reflected on all the sermons I've heard on New Year's. And as I reflected, a, a lot of times I would hear something like, new year, new you, or something like that, where it'd be like, yeah, you go get them this year. And as I were, was reflecting, I realized these last three years have not been great. They've been troubling times. And... I don't want to just send us out into this year. I don't want to begin this year by just saying, hey, go get them, guys, because I don't think that's how, what's going to sustain us in these hard times. I don't think what's going to sustain my soul in the troubles that we seem to continually come up against in the world today is going to be some trite statement that like, oh, yeah. It's a new year. Everything's going to be great again. Because we found out pretty clearly we have no guarantee things are going to be great again. And so today in Psalm 22, what I want to show you um, what I see here, and I, I hope as you read along in your Bibles, you'll see it as well, is that the hope that we have going into this new year the hope that we have in our troubled times is the same hope that Jesus had when he was on the cross. The hope that we have going to face whatever we're going up against this next year is the same hope that Jesus had when he died for our sins. And that's what I want us to see today. So I wanted to put that before you. I want that to be the, the thing you remember because the hope that we share is the hope that is shared with Christ. And so the trouble with a passage like Psalm 22 is that oftentimes it's easy for us to be overly familiar with passages like this. 
Many of us are familiar with the, the opening, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? We know that because they were on the words of Jesus' lips when he was dying on the cross. We also know at the end it ends and he has performed it or as uh, Jesus said it, it is finished, it is done. We're also on Jesus' lips on the cross. And then we see things like in the middle, it, it says things like they, they divided his clothing. They cast lots for his clothing. And we're like, oh, Jesus, right? All those things. And, and that's true. All those things are true, 100%. Think about Jesus when you think about this psalm. But don't forget that this wasn't written by Jesus and it wasn't just written about Jesus. This was a psalm that David wrote in reflection on something that he was presently experiencing. So while it did prophesy about Christ, yes, it didn't just prophesy about Christ. It also was telling the people that knew David, the people who came after David, in between David and Christ, about an experience that David had in his life. And so I think an important thing to understand this correctly would be for us to look at it in the context in which it was originally presented. Because there was a reason Jesus had these words on, the, on his lips when he died. There was a reason he was reflecting on this when he died. And so a few things I want us to keep in mind is we can't just VeggieTales this. And what, what I mean by that, have you guys ever seen the show VeggieTales or the, the series VeggieTales? I love it. I, I let my kids watch. It's great. Don't get me wrong. This isn't a knock on VeggieTales. Uh, VeggieTales serves a very good purpose where they take Bible stories on occasion and they will tell you one important key thing about a passage in the Bible. And that's great. Awesome. That's what kids need, right? They need clean, tidy. Um, You get to see a bunch of fruits and vegetables go up against Mr. Nezzer. And, you know, they got thrown into the chocolate furnace. And, you know, I remember watching that time and time again. Um, And it it was great. And it was educational. And that's really how I remember the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. But I think both in the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and in many other passages... When we just take a superficial reading of it and we don't dive into the depths of it, we miss the, the true depths that the Bible gives us. The Bible doesn't just have trite sayings for us. It has uh, deep and abiding truths with which we can cling to in our times of trial. There's so much more to the Bible. And, and this has become... In my mind, like it's come to the forefront more and more for me. Um, I used to read in high school, um, read in high school the books that my English teachers would give us. Of course, I would read all of them. I have students here. I read every single book. Um, <laughs> um, <laughs> we would read those books and be like, oh, yeah, so here's this story. Um, great, 1984. Things are bad. Okay, George Orwell said. Okay, whatever. And um, I recently joined a book club, um, and this book club, we've been reading the, the classics, right? We've been reading the classics, and as I've been reading through it, I started to realize there's actually something to these books as you begin to dwell on them, and they're like, they draw out these things in the human experience that we can't just access otherwise. 
And that's why they're classics. That's why people read them. And that's why English teachers were trying to get me to see. And I just didn't see it. And I think again here in Psalm 22, that's what's happening. I think there, there's a depth, there's a surface level reading we can do, but there's also a depth to it. We can go deeper. And so my encouragement today is as we approach this, don't just take that familiarity you have, what you're used to. Don't just go there and leave it. Let's try to understand what was really going on. The Bible is so much more rich than just telling you what's right and what's wrong. God is with you. He is abiding with you. It does tell us what's right and wrong, but it also tells us so much more. So, as I tried to make this point of we need to read it in its original context, let's get some context. This book is, uh, the Psalms, is a prayer book for the people of God. And what, the, what we believe is that it was probably collected by uh, some people in the exile when they came back to Jerusalem after they'd been exiled into Babylon. They came back and they found the writings of David. They found the writings of these other authors. And they collected and compiled them in a logical manner. They made an organized not, uh, book for us so that we can hear the story of God through song, through song, through poetry. And it talks about all the different aspects of the human experience, many different beautiful things. And so you might have your favorite psalm, but understand that psalms aren't just in there by themselves. This isn't a greatest hits album. I mean, they're great hits, don't get me wrong. But this isn't just like a, oh, we just threw them all in there. They're organized. If you actually look carefully in your Bible, you'll see that Psalm is divided into five books on purpose. And where we are in Psalm 22, Psalm 22, Psalm 23, and Psalm 24 all go together as a collection. They are all put together side by side with a very important purpose. And so I think for us, as we read the Psalms, we need to remember that somebody intentionally put these books where they are, these, um, these Psalms, where they are in order to communicate a message to us. God was trying to speak to us. And so, um, as we get to the specifics of Psalm 22, Psalm 22 is what's called a lament. And um, I don't know um, your experience in life, but I don't hear very many laments in my life. Um, lament isn't a very popular thing to do because lament talks about a deep anguish in the soul. A lament is something that you are pouring out the most vulnerable part of you during your times of trials. And so I wanted to give an example of a lament. So we can see what a lament does and then see how David uses this same idea of lament as we jump into understanding Psalm 22. And so um, I was looking for a lament to do and I had trouble finding a good lament. Um, but then um, as a teacher, I do my best to uh, keep up with the latest things in teaching. And one of the latest things in teaching, if you read the online messaging boards, is the teachers are freaking out right now. The teachers are scared because there's this new thing called ChatGPT. Don't listen, students. ChatGPT, where if you put in anything into ChatGPT, it will give you an answer. And what I mean by that is like if you're taking Shakespeare as a senior in high school, 
you could type in, what, could you write a 500 college, uh, 500 college level essay on the key themes in Hamlet? And it will just do it. And so for teachers, that's scary, right? Because you can never know if a student just typed it into ChatGPT and then turned it in. Because ChatGPT is so good, it synthesizes all the information on the internet and it writes something new. And so plagiarism checkers don't even, can't even track it, right? Because it's new. It's not somewhere else on the internet. So that's scary for teachers, and teachers are freaking out. And um, so, of course, as a good teacher that I am, I had to go research this. And so I went on ChatGPT, and I said, um, make my lesson plans for the next year. And, <laughs> and it did, and they were good. Like, they were really good lesson plans. And then I said, um, outline the key themes of the book of John. And it was like accurate. I was surprised. But um, for the purposes of today, I asked ChatGPT. I was like, okay, Chat, um, write me a lament. Give me a humorous lament. Let's see how it goes. And so here is ChatGPT's lament, um, an ode to coffee. Oh, woe is me, for I have run out of coffee. No more caffeine to fuel my day. No more jittery energy to keep me going. Just a sluggish, yawning slump in every way. I, I've tried tea. I've tried soda. I've even tried water with a twist. But nothing can replace the magical elixir. That is coffee. My one true mist. So I'll sit here and mourn as I watch the day slowly pass, waiting for that blessed moment when I can refill my cup at last. That's pretty good, right? Like, that, I mean, I, I was impressed. This is all new. I, I, that's imp- I, you would have assumed they picked it up from somewhere. And what this did is it like, um, it, it gives you this picture where I can almost imagine the chatbot sitting out near the window, watching the rainfall, just hoping with an empty cup, my coffee one day will come back to me. And you could feel it, right? Like, that, that's the thing here is in this lament about coffee, I know it's kind of silly, In this lament about coffee, you can kind of feel, you get a better picture of what's going on. And why I think it's important for us to identify that is as we are reading the lament of David, we need to understand David's not just going to tell us, man, my life is horrible. Here's exactly what's going wrong. He's going to try to draw a, a portrait for us. He's going to paint a picture so that we can understand deep in our soul what is wrong. And it helps us identify with him because if he didn't paint this picture, we might be like, oh, well, that was, that was bad for you. I'm sorry. And we can just leave it there. But when he tells us his feelings, we can identify with him. We can feel what he feels with him. And the last thing, and I would encourage you again to have your Bibles open to Psalm 22. The last thing as we go through this, or before we go through this psalm, that I want to point out is how David approaches it. In verses 1 through 21, what he's going to do is this very back and forth, back and forth, um, call and response almost, of here are my struggles, and then he's going to remember who God is. Here is where I'm hurting, but I know who God is. Let's see how he does it here. Verse 1. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? 
Far from my deliverance are the words of my groaning. Oh my God, I cry by day and you don't answer me. And by night and I have no rest. Have you ever felt that way? Where day and night you're calling for God to answer your prayer and he's not coming? God, I'm, I'm here. I'm, why, why have you abandoned me? I'm calling to you. This is what you told me to do, right? To trust you? And you're not answering. God, why have you forsaken me? You can feel the pain in his voice. You can hear it. This isn't just like, oh, well, I lost my battle. It's, God, I, I feel that you're not, not here. And how many times have we walked around in our life and we felt that way? God, where are you in this? But he remembers. Yet, verse 3, yet, you're holy. You are the one who is enthroned upon the praises of Israel. In you, my fathers trusted. They trusted in you and you delivered them. To you they cried out and they were delivered. You are the God of Abraham. You are the one who brought him out of Babylon. And you made a covenant with him and you worked with him. You are the God of Joseph who saw him in slavery and raised him up into second in command in Egypt. You are the God of Moses, of the people of Israel who delivered them out of the the affliction that Pharaoh placed on them. You are that God. You are the God of my fathers. I know you have been faithful. I know you are good. I know you are holy. And so even though I don't feel right now your presence, I know that you are the God who has been faithful to your people time and time again. And so I ask, church, do you remember when God has been faithful in your life? Do you know in church history the time God has preserved his church in trials and hardship? Are you able to recount those things? Are you able to depend on them? Because you can look back and see that God has always been faithful. You can look back and see all the examples all throughout history where God has been faithful to his people. The gates of hell did not prevail, even when it seemed bleak. I think of an example um, in the early 1900s, missionaries established a, uh, a was harbor? I can't think of the word right now. They established a base in uh, China. They established a base in China. And they began to spread the gospel. And they, they began to do God's work in China. And then in the 1970s, there are a million Christians in China. Praise God. But then the Chinese government outlawed Christianity. And what a horrible, trying time that was for the people of God in China. It seems that the government had won. But you know what God did? He continued to work. So that today, the estimates are upwards of 100 million Chinese are Christian. Why? Because God is faithful to his people. And even though the government might crack down, God will still preserve his word. And can you look back, just like David's looking back, 
And remember, recall those times where God has been faithful time and time again throughout history. Matter of fact, that's what the season of Advent is about, right? We are remembering that in Genesis chapter 3, thousands of years before Christ, there was a promise that one day somebody would come and deliver God's people from evil. He would put an end to this. And for thousands of years, we would see hope and then we'd see failure on the part of people. We would see hope, we'd see this glimmer, we'd see people like King David rise up and they look great. And then they fail. And the people were left just hoping, anxiously waiting that one day God would come and deliver people from evil. And Christmas celebrates, he did. He didn't just say he was coming, he came. And so we rejoice on Christmas Day because God didn't just say he was coming, he was faithful to his promises. And so in the Advent season, we're supposed to be preparing our hearts to recall that reality. Because God was faithful before. And so we don't just think about what he's done in the past. We know that God is coming again. And so we don't have to lose hope. We know in this season that we can remember no matter how bad things get, God is still God. And he was faithful when he brought Christ. And he's going to be faithful to return and make all things right again. So David continues in chapter I'm sorry, in verse 6, he says, Alas, or but, I'm just a worm. I'm not a man. I know you saved my ancestors. I know you've been faithful over there, but I'm not as worthy as they are, apparently. That's how it feels. I'm the reproach of man. I'm despised by the people. All who see me sneer at me. They make fun of me. They open their mouths. And they wag their head and they say, hey, don't you trust in Yahweh? Why don't you just go trust him? He'll save you, won't he? They're making fun of him. And in case you ever felt like it's not a big deal, it's not bad enough when people make fun of you, notice here, David's, one of his key laments is, people are making fun of me. It's a very real thing to experience rejection and pain through the words and action of others. Notice that is included here in the biblical text. But he says, these people are saying, you could just trust Yahweh. He's going he's to deliver you, right? That's what you thought, which is ironic, right? Because remember David saying, God, you feel so far away. I thought I could trust him. I, I, I thought that's the way I was supposed to go. But it doesn't seem like God is here. But he's going to recall again. He says, yet you are the one who brought me forth from the womb. When I was still a child, when I was upon my mother's breast, I trusted in you. Upon you I was cast from birth. You have been my God from the time that I was in my mother's womb. My whole life, God, you have been faithful to me. I'm recalling not just that you were faithful to my fathers, but you have been faithful at every step of my life. So be be not far from me. Because trouble is near. There's none to help. 
Many bulls have surrounded me. Strong bulls of Bashan, they've encircled me. They opened their mouth at me like a roaring lion. I am poured out like water. I'm completely empty. My bones are out of place. My body's not working the way it should. I have no water within me. My heart is welted like wax, melted like wax. My strength is dried up like a potsherd. My tongue cleaves to my jaws. I can't even say anything anymore, God. You lay me in the dust of death. For dogs have surrounded me. A band of evildoers, those dogs, they have encompassed me. You can hear the pain. You can feel this. And you know this experience. And if you don't know it yet, you will. In this life, there will be that point where you feel you have done everything you can and nothing is working. That God is just leaving you there. He's not coming. You will have felt that way or you will feel that way. And know that in the Bible, in the prayer book that the people of God were given, that's how David felt too. And that's how Christ felt too. They pierced my hands and my feet. I can count on my bones. The people around me, they look at me and they stare at me. They divide my garments among them. For my clothing, they cast lots. They're already dividing up my stuff as if I'm, as if I'm already dead. The people around me, they, just, they don't even care. They're just ready for me to go. They're ready for me to die. They're already figuring out how to divide up my stuff. God, there's no way out. And we felt... We have felt that way before. You have felt that way before. That it would just be better to just die. And the reality of the world we live in is many of us get to this point. And David got to this point. And the people of God felt... God worked through his people to preserve this word, which means that it wasn't just David, it wasn't just Jesus, it's not just you. It's been a constant theme all throughout the history of the world that people have felt this despair, that nothing can be made right. And like a Martin Scorsese film, we just see a cut. There's no, there's no hint here that things are going to change. It just all of a sudden goes the other direction. What I think has happened is David wrote the first 21 verses and then came back later after things have been made right. Because watch what happens in verse 22. All of a sudden it says, I will tell of your names to my brother. I will praise you in the assembly. Why? What happened here? It didn't tell us anything. He just jumped and was like, yeah, things are great again. We don't know. We don't know what this was. I, I've looked. There's been some guesses, and some people are like, oh, maybe, maybe this just was something he felt like writing. I, I don't think that's the case. I think David really experienced something. And I think what happened is he remembered his lament, and he came back. 
And he didn't just leave it there because God rescued him. Look at his words, beginning in verse 22 again. I will tell of your name to my brethren. In the midst of the assembly, I will praise you. You who fear Yahweh, praise him. All you descendants of Jacob, glorify him. And stand in awe of him, all you descendants of Israel. For he has not despised nor abhorred the affliction of the afflicted. Nor has he hidden his face from him. But when he cried to him for help, he heard, From you comes my praise in the great assembly. I shall pay my vows before those who fear him. To the afflicted, or sorry, the afflicted will eat and be satisfied. Those who seek him will praise Yahweh. Let your heart live forever. David is rejoicing because in that moment, in the first 21 verses, he felt there was no way out, but God came. And so for those of you who are in that place, in the valley of the shadow of death, remember 22 goes with 23. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, my God is with me. His rod and his staff will come for me. It may not seem like he's there in the moment, but God is still working. He is still with us. And it may not feel that way, but one day you will look back at where you were and see how God worked. It may not be apparent in this present moment. It may hurt in this present moment, but God will be faithful. And I say that knowing full well that for some of us, this isn't a felt reality. I remember I preached, uh, I was in a class on how to preach. And um, I gave a sermon, similar topic, same sort of thing, where I said, God will come through. <laughs> and one of the next people who preached, she came up and she, she goes, yeah, we prayed for my son. And we lost him. <laughs> we, we prayed, God, please don't take him. And we, ha- we didn't get him. And it, it brings us to this reality that in this world we live in, sometimes things don't seem to go right. Like we lose those we love. We get that diagnosis. And what do we do in those moments? Because, yeah, great, God saved David, cool. But is God going to save me too? And so what I want to encourage us with is that the psalm didn't end here. Because David realized something. He realized a truth about his deliverance. That I think we need in those moments where it seems that there's no coming back from this. Where, there, where we will feel this hurt and we will continue to feel this hurt and there is no coming back. Let's read the rest of it. Beginning in verse 27. It says, all the ends of the earth will remember and turn to Yahweh. And all the families of the nation will worship before you. For the kingdom is Yahweh's and he rules over the nation. All the prosperous of the earth will eat together and worship. All those who go down to the dust, all those who die, will bow before him. Even he who cannot keep his soul alive, posterity will serve him. It will be told of the Lord to the coming generations. They will come and declare his righteousness. 
to a people who will be born, that he has performed it. What David sees is not just that he was deliverance, or that he was delivered, but that his deliverance was a part of the big story of God's work in this world. Because he says, all of the ends of the earth will remember and turn to Yahweh. Why does he think that his experience, that we don't even know what it was, would be heard by the ends of the earth? Because he realizes, I think, that his experience isn't just his experience. What he, I think he's trying to communicate is that he is experiencing this, but he knows his hope in is that one day this will be what happens for everyone. This is our grand hope is that one day all things will be made right again. Because the world as it is right now is not the world we want to live in. This is not where my hope is. This world is, is, is a hard place to be a part of. And I know that one day God's going to come back again and make all things right. I know that he's not going to leave us here forever. I know in the, the pain, in the sorrow, in the lament that my story is just a part of the bigger story where I know that God will one day put this to an end. The deliverance is not just for us, but for the whole world. And I would argue this is why Jesus is saying these words on the cross. He is feeling the same way. He is feeling that he's feeling the full weight of the evil of the world. It's all been placed on him in this moment. All the hurt, all the pain, all the sin has culminated to that moment. And he's saying, God, where are you? I don't feel you right now. And then when he died or right before he died, the last thing we have on record in saying is it is finished. Notice that this psalm ended with the generations will say he has done it or he has performed it. And Jesus is saying, it is done. I have done it. I have accomplished the salvation that was promised. I have come and fulfilled everything that was prophesied about. And so our hope comes from that. It comes from that one thing that we know that God has been faithful in David's circumstances. He's been faithful all throughout the biblical scriptures. He's been faithful all throughout church history. And he has kept his word. And we know that one day he will keep it again and make all things right so that we don't have to live in the world the way it is anymore. We can be with him in perfect harmony. That's what our hope is in. And so when we experience pain, when we experience heartache, when the world throws us a curveball in this next year. When we feel that heartbreak, when we get that phone call, we remember. We call back to that hope. That hope that we have. That this isn't the end. This isn't all that it is. This isn't, what it, this isn't the culmination of all of history. God is working. And I, I'm experiencing this pain now. But one day all things will be right again. So, 
Let us remember. All throughout church history, God has been faithful. Let's remember that Christ is in whom our hope is. And that one day, our hope will come true and Christ will make all things right again. Because our hope and the hope that Christ had on the cross are the same hope. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Your words are like honey. Your words are the only thing that can sustain us in our trials and our hard times. God, I pray that you are with each one of us this year. That we learn to trust in you. That we recall what you've done for us and your people all throughout history, Lord. We praise things in your son's name. Amen.